calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome, citizens, to Liberty Tales from the Tower. As your media director, it is my privilege to inform you that the following stories will contain content some listeners will certainly find disturbing. But first, we here at Tower 4 have a few special announcements. The creative team would like to thank you for your support and continued listenership. We know that things are somewhat different without hearing the voices of Kofsky, Rodriguez, Jalo, and Jungfist. But you'll all be hearing from them again before you know it. Additionally, there have been recent advancements in mail technology finally made available to the public. The Department of Research and Development has been working meticulously to better Atreus, and the DRD is happy to report a healthy adjustment to the sodium content of the Sour Edition, soon to be entered into regular circulation. Delightful. Citizens, I know sometimes the world of audio news and entertainment can be a bit distant, so we here at the Liberty Podcast would like to invite you to stop by our booth at C2E2 in Chicago next month. The producer and writer of Critical Research will be at booth 130 spreading the word about the podcast and more so the zero issue of the comic series, an upcoming full volume of Liberty Deception. It may be your last chance to get your hands on the limited edition of the comic, possibly a signed version, before they disappear forever. These limited edition versions feature cover art by the legendary illustrator Dave Dorman, who has worked on such stories as Star Wars, Alien, G.I. Joe, and Dungeons and Dragons. But while we're on the topic of things that are disappearing like these books, we would like to introduce you to tonight's tale, Missing, which is written by Caitlin Statz and read for us by Victoria Rouette. And it might help us understand more about the mysterious disappearances that have been plaguing District 6. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. 
From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. The founding break was slowly creeping up on us. It was easy to tell that Atticus and I were growing anxious as the week-long break from studies approached. We left our apartment with a wave off from our mother and a skip in our step. Only two days left until the start of break. We waved to Mrs. Gibbard, our elderly neighbor, as we did every morning, and we met our friend Lucius at the elevator for the walk to the train station. He was just as excited as we were for the break. Trips to see the parades and the PAG semifinals at the West Park had been promised, as were meals of nothing but chocolate and new games. No one could pay attention during the classes. It would be worse tomorrow. But we all took the chance to chat with our friends and to psych ourselves up for the break. The next day, we bolted out of the apartment again. We waved to Mrs. Gibbard and ran to the train station. Lucius wasn't at the train station to meet us. Some kids got out early because their parents knew that the last day of lessons before break were useless teaching days. Some used the day before to clean up their apartment and get ready for the year to come. But we planned to meet Lucius at West Park tomorrow for the chocolate and the flares and the tile trading. My classes were a perfect mess, and when I finally met up with Atticus, he said his were too. When the chimes finally released us, we headed home. Cassia! Cassia! He yelled as he ran up to me. My little brother has the silliest way of running, but he smiled wide with the two big gaps in his teeth. Cassia, look what I got. I won them. I won them all. It's Reeve. Maybe 36 new tiles. Wanna play? Wanna play? So, being the big sister I am, I took the tiles and I lifted them far over his head. You're right, Atticus. There are a lot of tiles here. Some great new ones that I could trade to Lucius. Easy, I taunted. No, no, Cassia, those are mine. Atticus jumped and he swung his arms for the tiles. Yeah, yeah, here. I bet Lucius wouldn't want to trade him. Come on, let's go. We'll see him tomorrow at West Park and play the best game ever. I pulled his hood over his eyes and tossed the tiles back to him. We joked about anything and everything, heading home. And the train was alive with excitement as the Archon's birthday approached. We got to our apartment's floor and were met by the smiling face of old Mrs. Gibbard. Happy founding week eve. Oh, Atticus, look at you. Your teeth are shedding already. And Cassia, what a pretty young woman you're becoming. Smart, too, I know. She produced a small lidded pot from behind her. Here, take this home with you. It's a nice treat for the week's festivities. Now run along, kids. Your parents are waiting. We thanked her, and I took the pot back with us to our apartment. 
My mom commented on Mrs. Gibbard's kindness as she placed the pot on the table, and we were finally free to go have some fun. The day went on, and Atticus and I played at least six games with his new tiles before our mother got the call. It was Lucius's mother, asking if Lucius was here with us, playing tiles or watching broadcasts. My mother shook her head, no, before she said it, and then turned to us. Atticus, Cassia, did you see Lucius today on the train ride home? My mother asked, her voice more concerned than I had ever heard in years. Atticus shook his head, no, but I had more to say. Lucius wasn't at classes today. We didn't meet him at the train this morning. He, he just wasn't there. I answered clearly. We were supposed to meet him at West Park tomorrow with his family to swap and play tiles and watch the flares. Lucius hasn't been home, Cassia. When was the last time you saw him? My mother asked, acting as a proxy for the desperate woman on the line. Yesterday, leaving the train, I gulped back. Atticus wasn't really phased by any of this. He just kept staring at his tiles, waiting for my move. My mother turned back and spoke to Lucius's mother again. No, Vita. I know. I'll keep an eye out. You said he left early this morning? What about Justice Lowe? Have you tried his family? Okay. I'm here if you need me. Bye. My mother sounded sullen and walked over to us. She explained the whole situation to us as though we couldn't hear her talking earlier, and Atticus finally started to get worried. So, Lucas doesn't want to trade? No, Atticus, he does. But we don't know where he is right now, and if we can't find him, he can't trade with you. Do you remember anything Lucius might have said? Lucius's mother, Vita, was a great friend to our family. It was how we had met Lucius in the first place, and it saddened our mother to hear Vita in such distress. As the evening went on, our father came home late from a dinner outing with his fellows at the lab, and soon after, our mother, she rushed to Vita's apartment. Atticus was sad, more so as the night went on, and he went to bed sobbing without a bite to eat. My father and I stayed up watching the broadcast in silence until we both decided to go to sleep for the night. I was worried, and my stomach could not handle the idea of food, so I took a glass of water with me to bed, and that was that. When we woke up, the broadcast and the radio station were filled with joy, but our family was sullen, even Atticus. My mother had not returned, and our father tried to cheer us up by telling us to get dressed to see the parades and the PAG semifinals at West Park, which we did in silence. Vita, her husband, and my mother eventually showed up to our house, and not soon after, we quietly took the train to the park. Trying to be happy was a mistake. Seeing Atticus talking to the other kids and swapping tiles just made Vita cry, and my mother stared down at us as though we had broken something. Even as our favorite team won the PAG, we ate our victory chocolate with no degree of glee and watched the festivities solemnly. I pocketed the top to the chocolate canister, <laughs> a tradition I did every time I was able to get chocolate. But as the darkness rose, the time for the flares grew closer and closer. Lucius's parents left for their home. They wanted to check to see if Lucius was there or if anyone had left them any messages. When they were gone, things lightened up a bit. My parents 
did want us to have a pleasant time, but they couldn't help but sympathize with Lucius's parents. They let us play with the other kids so long as it was within their sight, and we didn't complain. Atticus traded and traded until at least half of his set was new tiles. And he looked at me with that wanna-play face that I know so well. We had a little more chocolate happily this time, and we watched the flare display in awe. Our parents drank and they cheered up a bit as people wished them joyous founding and a prosperous year to come. Atticus fell asleep. My father had to carry him home. My mother was silent, so I just stood next to them in silence as well. The cheery disposition of the train ride stopped as it reached my family stop. By the time we got to our building, my father, mother, and brother went straight to bed. I was wide awake, and I wandered around the apartment just, well, doing nothing. My stomach was full of sweets, and I was too excited to sit down to watch the broadcast, and I had never enjoyed solo tiles. I recalled what Lucius's mother had said about Lucius having left early the day he disappeared. Sometimes, Lucius would meet us at our apartment and go with us all the way to the train, usually so he could tell his longer stories to us on the way through the trip. I went out into the hall, planning to ask old Mrs. Gibbard if she had seen anything. I went down the hall to her apartment and raised my hand to knock on the door. Just before I did, I noticed a tile under her door. It was a play tile, and a great one, one that Atticus would be happy to hear I found. I smiled and I knocked on old Mrs. Gibbard's door. It was late, but she answered soon enough. She didn't look as though she had been sleeping. Instead, it looked as though she had been working. Oh, Cassia, joyous founding week to you and a prosperous new year to come. She cooed and and patted my arm. I thanked her and I showed her the tile. I found this under your door. Do you play or can I keep it? She looked at the tile, a bit perplexed. Oh, keep it, keep it. That game holds little fun for an old woman like me. By the way, can I have my pot back soon? I'd like to give some more food to the Otanis down the hall tomorrow. I'm sorry, Mrs. Gibbard. We haven't eaten it yet. We've been caught up in so many things. I'll talk to my mother about it tomorrow morning. And then I looked past her frail frame. There was a tile case sitting on the table in the back of the room. My face fell low as I recognized the silly markings on the case. It was Lucius's. Old Mrs. Gibbard suddenly yanked my arm and she tossed me into the room, the door closing behind me. Oh, you Cassia, too smart for your own well-being. She smacked me again, sending me to the floor. That little boy, oh, he was just so willing to help me, so kind and so plump. She reached for a cooking pot and she swung it at me. It hurt as my nose cracked, but my head remained stable. You really would like it, you know, a growing girl like you. She lashed out again and I fumbled for anything but could not find something to strike her back with. The old woman swung again, the weight of the cooking pot throwing her off balance. I reached in my pocket to retrieve the chocolate canister lid, my sharp memento from the day. I lashed out and I cut Mrs. Gibbard above the eyes. I rushed for the door as blood streamed from my nose and she tried to wipe blood from her eyes. By the door stood a table. I 
I took a lamp from it and I threw it at her. As it smashed into her, she went down and I fled the apartment. I called the local enforcer before I even woke my parents. I awoke my father and I told him to come with me. And the blood streaming from my face made him even more quick to listen. Don't let Mrs. Gibbard leave. Don't let Mrs. Gibbard leave. The local enforcer took a while to arrive. I had been babbling and waving my hands about and my mother was trying to clean the blood from my face. My father listened to every word I said and stood guard at Mrs. Gibbard's door. My mother called Lucius's parents and they soon arrived. Lucius's father, he, he wanted to rush in, but my father held him back. The enforcer arrived and listened to my babble and to my father's translation. I was getting tired and my face hurt and I, I lost some blood. But pretty soon my father was carrying me back to the apartment where I easily fell asleep on the sofa. The next day, I heard the truth about what had happened. Lucius's belongings had been found at Mrs. Gibbard's apartment, his tile case, his class pack, his clothes. Parts of bone had been found in the trash compactor. Flesh had been found in her refrigerator unit. Lucius had been Mrs. Gibbard's meals. Right after I'd been taken home, she had been pulled out of the apartment, raving about how he was a plump young lad, so willing to help her cook, so savory. She was later linked to several other disappearances as well, and her apartment was cleaned out by the following day. I noticed that Mrs. Gibbard's small lidded pot was gone from our apartment. We had never eaten any. With Lucius's disappearance and the founding week's treats, the small lidded pot had just sat there, just waiting for our forks and knives. The unspoken fact that still bothered us was that Mrs. Gibbard had been our neighbor for years and that it was a well-known fact that she was a great cook. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Podcast. Episode 2 of Tales from the Tower was written by Caitlin Statz and co-created and produced by Travis Fengroff. Missing was read by Victoria Rowett with accompanying voices by Michelle Frank Merksmer, Chris Frank, and Christian Fernandez. The music and sounds were designed by Careless Juja. The Liberty Tales from the Tower introduction theme was performed by Brandon Strader. If you would like more information about the world of Atreus, please check out libertyendures.com. To support the Liberty Podcast, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash libertypodcast. Liberty is a Fool and Scholar production, and this episode is trademarked by John Dossinger Publishing 2016. Thank you for listening, and may the Archon watch over you. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.